Hey now, and welcome to the City Off Campus podcast with your two favorite hosts, Sammy Sommerfeld and Jack McFarland. Today, we're joined by David Kaplan, who's a host on NBC Sports Chicago, and he's the co-host of ESPN 1000 radio show, Cap and Jay Hood. Um, thanks for joining us. How's everything going with you? Everything is great. It's an honor to be on with the two of you, so I'm ready to go. Anything you fire it at me, I will give you the best I got, which is I'm honest. You may not always like my honesty, but I'm honest. Love it. So my first question for you, so I'm a big Howard Stern guy. And when I was, kind of, I. so when I was digging um, into you a little bit more, a little bit more for the show, I saw you worked for the program director, Pig Vomit, who is depicted in the movie. That's true. So my question for you is, is it an accurate portrayal? in private parts of when you work for the guy like is the program director that way and i'm just curious and if you don't want to talk about it, that's okay too but i was just so curious was he like that okay so i don't like to speak ill of the dead because he's deceased he had a heart attack at his desk in san francisco a few oh, wow. years ago um that guy was a freaking nightmare you know, first of all, he's not from here, from where I'm from. I'm yeah. a Chicagoan. I was born in Chicago, raised in Chicago. I live in Chicago, and I will die a Chicagoan, no matter if I'm living in Florida as an old man or whatever. I'm a Chicago guy through and through. And this dude called us into a meeting. We do not live in Chicago. We live in Chicago. And so he put signs up leading into the studio that said, we speak C-H-I-C-A-W-G-O, Chicago. And I'm like, okay, this guy's out of his freaking mind. Out of his mind, we speak Chicago. And to the last second I worked for that guy till they fired his ass, I said exactly how I've said it my whole life. I'm from Chicago. That's how we say it here. And that's how I say it. And then I remember him walking in. We had a show called Kathy and Judy. It was a legendary show. It was two older women that they were in touch with our audience and they were beloved. And they would say, you're listening to WGN. That's how they spoke. you got to be authentic when you're on the air. And he went in there all upset. It's double U. That's how you pronounce the W. Double U-G-N. And he put signs up. And they went, sorry, not listening to you, dude. He was the worst. Wow. Sounds like Stern downplays it then. Yeah, with the W and BC. Yeah. Dude, this guy was brutal. Wow. Thank you for that, because I was so curious. Um, and then my next question for you is, I know you've hosted, like, so here in Iowa City, um, we host a live podcast at one of the big sports bars in Iowa City where we have athletes on, interview them live, we have an audience and stuff. And I was kind of wondering, because you've done similar things, you know, having live shows, what's kind of the art of broadcasting a live show? Like, what for you is the difference from being on air in the studio than on air, you know, in a remote location? Well, unless you're doing it in front of, you know, 5,000 people, and I've never had a remote where that with that type of audience, I mean, you'll get, you know, whatever, a few hundred in a bar, maybe. And how many of them are really listening? Very few. They're there to have food, drinks, laughs with their friends. They might hear something. 
don't broadcast to who's in there. It's just like, how many times have you looked? I don't know if you take phone calls. We do. We have 10 lines. We think our ratings are unbelievable if all 10 lines are lit. Well, what if that's the only 10 people that are listening? Don't be a slave to the phone calls. Now, they could be a big part of your show, but just understand, one one billionth of a percent of people are calling into a radio show. I'm a radio guy. I may have called a radio show in my life three times, and I'm a radio guy. So don't feel like, oh, that person reacted. They thought what I said was funny or cute. Play to the audience that's listening because it's a billion times bigger. Just do your show. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. And now transitioning to some Chicago sports talk. So I'm a Cubs fan, diehard Cubs fan. Jack is a Sox fan. And we've had this discussion and we're going to lead into some Cubs Sox talk in a minute, but I have to ask you to start it off between the Cubs and the Sox. Who is Chicago's team? Well, that's easy. It's the Cubs. It's just a bigger audience. But the White Sox are a team on the rise where the Cubs have been going this way. And I feel like when you mix in the fact that part of the ownership group of the Cubs worked on the Donald Trump campaign, who's the most, whether you like him, you don't like him, I don't talk politics ever because I want everyone to listen. No one needs to know who I voted for or didn't vote. Do I like this person? Do I not like her? Do I not like him? Like Michael Jordan said, I want Democrats and Republicans to buy Nikes. I want every single person to feel like when they listen to me and to Jonathan Hood, that they're getting a respite from whatever other BS is out in the world about you voted for who? I hate you. You voted for who? I hate all of that stuff. So I feel like because Todd Ricketts was the campaign finance chairman for the president, there were a lot of people that became anti-Cub for that reason. I feel like the White Sox have stayed like Switzerland. They're, we're just going to build our team. We're going to keep getting better and keep getting better. And we're going to give you something that on the north side, I hope they rebuild it. I'm a Cubs fan. I hope they get better. I don't know when that's going to be. They pulled it off once with Theo. Are they going to pull it off again? 12, 13, 14, we were garbage. 2015, they won 97 games. Are you willing to bet? every nickel you have saved in your life that in four years, they're going to be a 97 win team on the precipice of winning a world series and going to the playoffs five out of six times. Who on that team are you willing to bet on? I love Wilson Contreras beyond Wilson Contreras and Kyle Hendricks. Name me another guy on that roster. You're convinced will be part of a world series team. Frank Schwindel. I'm not betting on him. Nick Madrigal, maybe. Nico Horner, Patrick Wisdom, Ian Happ, Jason Hayward, Adbert Alzali. I hope he's a part of our team. Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson. I mean, that's how far away it is. So I feel like when you mix in all the off the field factors and the fact that the White Sox have locked a lot of their good young guys up, they're a friendly, likable team. The White Sox have a chance to steal some thunder here. I don't think they'll ever take over the city because of the power of what WGN used to be. 
where people became fans like Aaron Rodgers talked about it last week. I became a Cubs fan because I lived in California. It was one of the few cable channels he got. And so all these legions of people want to see Wrigley. It's a tourist attraction, all of it. Uh, but they better be careful. They better take this thing, turn around quick. So well, was- just to like, hold on, I have to follow up to that. So there was an incident at uh, game, I think it was game four at Sox Park. I think it was game four where John Cusack was approached by White Sox Day from Barstool. And he like approached him about being a fan of both Chicago teams mm-hmm. and whether or not there's like, it's okay for you to like root for the Cubs during those prime years. But now that like, there's nothing to root for, are you allowed to go back and like root for the Sox? Now, since we're getting to that, like crossroad, I feel like in the city, like what's your take on that entire situation? So if the Cubs are playing the white Sox, I hope the final score is 900 to nothing Cubs. I'm a Cubs guy. That's where my heart is. I mean, November 2nd, 2016 is the single greatest night of my sports life. You can have the 85 Bears. It was awesome. Six Bulls championship, spectacular. I was a season ticket holder to the Blackhawks. I was on the ice doing interviews in Boston in 2013 and in Chicago over Tampa Bay in 2015. It was all awesome. Nothing all added together comes close to that night in Cleveland When I'm sitting there and Todd Hollinsworth, my partner, is saying to me, it's six to three, dude, it's over. We got this. And I turned to him and I said, dude, stop. You are an effing mercenary. You played for seven teams. You took our money for a year and a half and we traded your ass to Atlanta. You don't know what I'm going through. So just stop. Leave me alone and stay away from me until this is over. And he's looking at me like, you're insane. And it wasn't 20 minutes later, I'm standing on our set. We had come out of the ballpark at 6'3". It's the bottom of the eighth. And we have a monitor on our set. And I can see the game, but it's 15 seconds delayed because it goes to the satellite, to the truck, to us. I walk behind our set and I can hear the speakers on the side of progressive field. Well, those are in real time. And I hear Tom Hamilton, who's one of the great baseball announcers ever for the Indians, swung on and driven to deep left. And I literally thought I was going to throw up. And then there's the fireworks. The game is tied. And I turn around and Hans was like, what are you all upset about? I'm like, they just effing tied it. And then two seconds later, there's the fireworks. And he looked at me. He's like, oh, God, I get it now. I said, do you see what I mean? More than any team in professional sports till that night, there were no done deals with the Chicago Mm -hmm. Cubs. They could be up 500 to nothing with two outs in the ninth, and they could find a way to F this whole thing up. So that's my point. I'm a Cub guy. My heart was beating on that set. I was not the broadcaster that night. I was a fan. But if the Cubs aren't in it, why would I not cheer for the White Sox? It says Chicago on the front of the jersey. My brother, my closest friend in my life, is a diehard Sox fan. One of my best friends is one of their vice presidents. Why do I? Not, why would I root against them? I think that's immature, stupid. But if we play them, I hope we beat their ass. <laughs> well, you talk about the Cubs rebuild, and you know the Cubs just hired um, Carter Hawkins to be the new GM of the team. What do you think of that hire? And 
what do you think about, you know, he was a guy who developed a lot of pitching in his time in Cleveland. Do you think they kind of take a similar model? What do you, and I was also kind of curious, what do you think the Cubs do in free agency going into this winter? Like, what do you think the strategy kind of is? So I don't know Carter as a person. I've never interviewed him. You know, you don't really talk to many assistant general managers. That said, I've called some people I trust in the league. I talked to two agents who said, dude, this guy's a star. He's awesome. And he's really good at player development. He's got a lot of processes that he uses. And I mean, look at their team. They develop a lot of good young players from Michael Brantley, who used to be there, to Tristan McKenzie, to Corey Kluber, to Shane Bieber, to Mike Clevenger, to Zach Plesak, to Brian Shaw, uh, to Emmanuel Classe. I mean, they keep running dudes out there that can play, pitch or play as a position player. So if he can help us be better, because the one disappointing thing, I was there anchoring the day Jed and Theo were hired. First, it was Theo. A week later, it was Jed. And it, we're going to be a player development machine. No. We've done an awful job in player development. Awful. Chris Bryant, my dead grandmother, could have drafted. He was second overall. Would you take Kyle Schwarber fourth overall again? Probably not. You ended up non-tendering him. Would you take Albert Almora sixth? No. no. Would you take Ian Happ ninth? No. no. And name me one pitcher that you'll hang your hat on that they developed. The answer mm. is zero. Yeah. So well, I hope he's the right guy. Well, and that with that too. So with free agency, do you want to see the Cubs sign back any of these guys that they gave away for nothing, basically, or get, you know, trade at the deadline? Like, do you want to see a KB come back, Rizzo, or Schwarber, any of those type of guys come back? Um, in I this mean, off season. Okay, so I can answer that a couple ways for you. Like I did Anthony Rizzo's radio show for six years. Every charity event that he did in the Chicago area, I was the MC. Like we became really, really good friends. I've hung out with this guy. Like I have a great relationship with Anthony. And so would I like to see him back here? Certainly I would. Selfishly. Do I think they're going to sign these guys back? I absolutely do not. They ripped the Band-Aid off. So why would you then go back and get those guys again? They offered Rizzo 70 million. He did not feel that was enough. I'm not sure he's going to get that kind of money from anybody else. Uh, I'm not the biggest hobby bias fan. I love his swag. I love his it factor, his cool thing. Little kids wearing his Jersey. He's on the front of the box for uh, RBI or major yeah, league baseball, the show. Show, whichever one. Uh, cool. Chris Bryant, am I giving Chris Bryant eight years at 30 million a year? I'm not. I'm not convinced he could stay healthy. Very good baseball player. So once they rip the Band-Aid off, I don't think any of those guys are coming back. Over your shoulder, you have the late Tony Esposito's jersey, and that's a really sweet jersey. But we have to touch on the Blackhawks because I personally came into this season like all the way bought back in, kind of like just they keep bringing me back somehow. And I, I can't help but feel just a little like, again, three games in a little worried. How am I supposed to feel right now as a Blackhawks fan? Cause I was really looking forward to this year for being that like one last push that last hoorah. I don't even know how I feel right now. 
So they've looked horrible to start the season. That's an understatement. Yeah. Now, what is it? Three games in. Right. And they're oh two and one overtime loss. Mm -hmm. We got one point. They got a really tough game tonight. They're going to play the Islanders. I'm going to eat my dinner and I'm going to watch that game because that's what I do. They play Thursday against Vancouver. Sunday, I think they get Detroit. If they, I don't think they win tonight. If you don't beat a mediocre Vancouver team in Chicago on Thursday, I'm telling you that Detroit team is no slouch. They are better than they've been. They keep getting high picks. I think they're finally, they're not great. They're finally going this way. If you don't find a way to get on solid footing in the next three games, you go on the road and you get like Carolina. Uh, I'm trying to remember who the next one. You could be staring at like 0-8 and 1. So am I disappointed? I did not expect a playoff team, but I also did not expect them to look as awful as they've looked. Like 17 seconds into the game the other night, a goal. The day before the game before it was like a minute 10 into the game, they're down. And I think the Colorado game. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you would know better, Jack. Uh, d- weren't they down 4 nothing six minutes into the game? Yeah. No, I turned that one off really quickly. Yeah. So it was 4-2, to two, but I think Colorado put it on cruise control. Mm-hmm. So. so, and just to follow up on that, it's like, where's that, like, fine line for Colleton? Because he was just extended. The Blackhawks have proven they have a track record of firing someone midseason when they aren't scared. Like, they did it with Quenville when he was, like, 6-6-2 six, six and two or something. It's like... It's the same problems year after year with Colleton and people always harp on him being a great communicator and developer of young talent. And quite frankly, we don't really see that on the ice as a product. Like they made a little push last year, year prior. There's just not a whole lot of substantial growth in the team back to where they were 2014, 15, where they were just on the cusp of being contenders. Is there ever going to be a fine line for Colleton or are we going, do you feel, do we like we're going to ride it out for the rest of this year with him? What if you do start one seven and one or oh eight and one or oh and nine, whatever you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're buried, well, then you're probably guaranteeing that you're done as a playoff contender. How do you not fire that guy at like one and nine? So, I, I think he's on a really tight rope. Uh, I don't think they have paid him a ton of money, like, Joel was making big money. I don't think Jeremy's making super, super big money. So that's a north of a billion dollar franchise. And he's got a short leash. If that team is one and seven, one and eight, one and nine, how do you not fire him? And just like looking kind of a little short future, but Kane and Taves, both their contracts are about to be up. Like, what would you like to see them do with them, would you like to see them do kind of like the, not the same thing that the Cubs did, but rip off that Band-Aid of that era and move on? Or are they Hawks for life in your eyes? Um, I don't think Jonathan's long for the NHL. I don't. I wouldn't be shocked if he had a solid year and he rode off into the sunset. And maybe he'll play 10 more years. I don't know. For me, Patrick Kane is the greatest American-born hockey player of all time. Patrick Kane is the greatest Blackhawk player of all time. And if he's up for it, he's not ever wearing another sweater for me. Yeah, 
I agree. I agree on that. Um, with the Chicago Bears, so I was curious, coming out of this Packers loss, kind of where, where are you at with the Bears personally? What are your thoughts on Justin Fields these first couple of games? So I like Justin Fields. I was thrilled the night they drafted him. I was on vacation uh, in Naples, and my wife oh, and I – Oh, that's where I'm from. Naples, Florida? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're sitting at Chop City Grill. Oh, of course, yeah. So we're sitting on the street, you know, those tables right up against the building. Yeah. And I have my iPad. My wife is a sports fan like me, and she knows this is what I do. So I set the iPad up against the building, and we've got our food right there. We're eating our appetizers, and my phone rings. And, I mean, I, I don't understand anyone who works in the media who turns their cell phone off. I silence it when I'm on the air, but it's sitting right there. When mm-hmm. I go to bed, it's not off. And I've got producers and friends in the business who are like, I don't want to be bothered. Then don't take a job in the effing media. I've had stories break where I get a phone call that Harry Carey's going to die. He collapsed. Can you please get to the station? You're damn right I can get to the station. That's what I do for a living. Or Lou Aldeng got traded at 1.30 in the morning. I can't get a hold of my producer because he turned his phone off and went to bed. I'm not saying if you're on vacation, you're not entitled to get away. But if you work in the media, you are on call. So I'm sitting in Naples. We're eating dinner. It's like with the second pick, New Jets take Zach Wilson. The third pick, Trey Lance. And my phone rings. And it's an agent friend of mine from when I was an NBA scout. And I look, I'm like, what's this dude calling me for? Hello, what's up? He said, you didn't get this from me. Your boys are trading for Justin Fields. I'm like, excuse me? He said, it depends if Denver or Carolina takes him. If he's still on the board after Carolina, the deal's done. The Giants are sending you their pick. You're getting him. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe we're going to pull this off because I love Justin Fields. Nothing I've seen has dissuaded me from my thought that he's going to be a franchise quarterback. The only problem I have is I think we're poorly coached. I think Matt is a good culture guy. I've interviewed him. I've been around him. I think he's a great dude. And if he was my next door neighbor right there, he'd be the guy that would go, Oh, the Kaplans are out. It's snowing. I'll shovel their sidewalk. Like he's that guy. He's a great dude. And his players truly like playing for him. I just don't think he's very good at his job. So I think they need a new head coach. I think they need a new identity offensively, but I think Justin Fields, they did get that right. So there's been a lot of names circling around, but one that a lot of people love to talk about is Brian Dable. Like how realistic is that type of pipe dream? Because that's what every Bears fan wants. They see what he did with Josh Allen and maximized his talents and that he could do that with Fields, right? I mean, how realistic is that? So I was debating this today on the air, and then I just was doing a show for NBC where I had this debate with someone. We got to get the best offensive guy in here to fix it. No, yeah. no. Get the best leader of 53 men who can be a CEO of your football team. And like, who are the best coaches right now in the NFL? Bill Belichick's the greatest of all time. He was a defensive coordinator. He also had the greatest quarterback ever. They helped develop. He was a six-round pick. Uh, Pete Carroll, defensive coordinator. Mike Tomlin, defensive coordinator. Uh, John Harbaugh, special teams coach. We do not have to hire 
an offensive mind. Jimmy Johnson was telling Dave once that I'm sitting there. Dave's on the phone with Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy says to him, listen to me, Dave, you get the best CEO and leader of 53 guys. And then he brings in an offensive coordinator and he says, Hey, Jack, here's your job. You're the OC. Your job is to score as many goddamn points as you can. Sammy, you're the defensive coordinator. Your job is to keep them from scoring as many goddamn points as they can. And if you both are good at your jobs, you will get a head coaching job. But I'm the CEO, period. Now, if Brian Dable is the best CEO, great. Sean McVay's a great coach. He was an offensive wizard. Everyone seems to love what the L.A. Chargers coach is doing with Justin Herbert. That's what I said in our podcast the other day is we need a guy like Brandon Staley who played quarterback. He was a defensive he had, coordinator. But he was a defensive coordinator. He had he, both sides of the ball. And he's, like, he's a culture guy. Best he's changed the culture. Andy Reid had never been a coordinator. He was a quarterback's coach. Mm-hmm. Just Mike Zimmer. You could say you don't like him, whatever. He's one of 32 in the world doing what he does. Defensive coordinator. Hot name is Todd Bowles. He's down in Tampa. He was in a terrible franchise at the time in Arizona. Defensive coordinator. Byron Leftwich, offensive coordinator in Tampa. Maybe he's the right guy. My point is, find out who the best leader of men and the best CEO is, and then build the best staff and go, I don't care what it costs me. Oh, that's the best offensive coordinator? How much? Done. How much? Done. I need a running back coach. You're the best in the game? Done. That's how you win instead of hiring an 80-some-year-old Ernie Accorsi and he tells you who you should hire because you're too incompetent as the owner to know who to hire. I love you bringing that up because I think there are a lot of Bears fans right now trying to jam that circle peg in the square hole of we need to get this offensive guy because everyone's doing it. Like they see the Shanahan's, the McVay's, the Dable, and they think of Eric Bieniemy, and they go, man, what we could have right now. And it's like, well, not everybody is like that. Like, yeah, the NFL is trending in an offensive direction, but wouldn't you also kind of want someone who knows how to stop that offensive direction? Like a Brandon Staley, it's a phenomenal example. And kind of keep going with the Bears. Some guy that was just um, reported as on the COVID-19 or IR, Robert Quinn. And yeah. obviously that loss hurts going like a ton going into this Bucks game. I personally didn't expect the Bears to win this game. I think it gives Travis Gibson a great opportunity against some good tackles. My question being, do you see any scenario where Robert Quinn could possibly be getting traded before week eight? Because I don't know if his value as a pass rusher will ever get higher than it is right now. So here's a couple things. One, from what I know of the COVID-19 protocol in the National Football League, if you're fully vaccinated and you test negative after testing positive and you have two negative tests in a 24-hour span, you're taken off the COVID list. I don't know if Robert Quinn's fully vaccinated. It's not like we have a, you know, a scorecard and they go, yeah, here's all the vaccinated dudes. I know the bears are north of 90% fully vaccinated, but is Robert Quinn in that 8%, 9%, 10% that are unvaccinated? I don't know. So if he's not vaccinated, he's gone for 10 days at least. So that's a problem. It's a great opportunity for Travis Gibson. He had a sack the other day. Uh, everybody really likes this guy. Ryan Pace traded back into, I think, the fourth round, gave up a fourth rounder for a fifth so he could get that guy immediately. 
And people up at House Hall think he's got a chance to be a really, really good player. You've got to have a bunch of those guys in your rotation. Would they trade Robert Quinn? What are you expecting to get for him? And how many teams can fit his salary into your their salary cap? There's not many. So who's taking him? And what are you expecting to get back? Somebody's right. going to be a fifth-round pick just to move the money. Are you doing that? If you don't think you can win next year, I guess you are. But they don't believe that. Well, and now let me ask you, do you think that they're a winning team in this next year and a half window? I mean, because I don't think that they're that close to contending. Well, they were a playoff team last year. I don't think they're a great football team, but that defense is playoff worthy. No question. Do you like Justin Fields? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have your franchise quarterback. Do you like David Montgomery? Biggest David Montgomery fan there is. Okay, you have your franchise running back. You have Darnell Mooney, really good player. Very good. I think Paul Komet's a solid player. I don't think he's a star. They're using him a lot more as an inline blocker. But he had four catches for 49 yards the other day. That was the best I've seen him look in a long time. So those guys up there, they're not going to tell you they think they're a 5-12 and 12 team. They think they can win. So if they think they can win, why are they trading Robert Quinn? Now, if they fire Ryan Pace and they fire Matt Nagy and some team says, I'll take Robert Quinn. And again, you got to also see what the dead cap money is because you can't just give guys away right. because you want to move the money. In the NFL, it all accelerates into your cap and then you're completely screwed. So if Robert Quinn can be moved and you can make it work on your salary cap and you're admitting we got a new GM, we got a new coach, and we need to clean a bunch of these guys out of here, I guess. But they don't feel that way, at least today. And staying on the Bears offense, obviously Bill Lazor's taken over the play calling for the last couple of games, but their numbers are still bottom of the league as an offense. Yep. I, I don't think that that's any indicative of Lazor's play calling abilities. Is it more of just, again, I don't like saying it because, like NFL is a copycat league, but Nagy system just looks like it hasn't done anything in this, these past four years to give them any sort of explosive ability to open it up. Like they lead the league in rushing yards. That's phenomenal. They're bottom in every passing category. Are they trying to alleviate some of that pressure from fields? Or is this just another example of this just not really working? So I'm looking up Robert Quinn's contract while I'm talking to you guys. So, mm -hmm. so you're asking me why they have such bottom of the league numbers offensively? Well, just like passing wise, because I feel like every year it, people always use Mitch as the scapegoat of he can't read a defense. He can't do this or that. We have to roll him out to get any sort of look. And now we get to Justin Fields and you see there's a stark difference night and day from his ability as a quarterback compared to what we had with Mitch, Foles, Dalton. And we're still bottom and yet we still see some glimmers and it'll take time for these you know, stats and games to level everything out, but it still feels like the offense is just at that same spot the last couple of years where it's just so stagnant. Like it's, it's like pulling teeth, trying to get a, a 10 play 80 yard drive. Yeah. So let's look at that offense. I'm not a huge Allen Robinson guy. I think he's the most overrated either. in the game. I think he's a good football player. I'm not telling you he's a bad player. Is Allen Robinson a top 20 wide receiver in the NFL? If he's top 20, he's bottom of the 20, but I don't think so either. 
He doesn't have top-end speed. He's not a top-end athlete. He's not a top-end blocker. He's a really good player. He wanted $20 million a year for four years. He wanted a Keenan Allen contract. Really? That we're going to do yeah, that? Keenan Allen's way better than him. No question. So then you got to replace him, though. Then let's look at their offensive line. Okay, everyone was stunned. How did we look so bad against the Cleveland Browns? Well, guess what? The dude over there at one of the ends is Miles Garrett. He signed for $130 million. We tried to block him one-on-one -on -one with a man who's almost 40 that we got off a fishing boat 12 days before the season started who's making a million and a half dollars. I'm surprised. People are surprised. Really? $130 million, a million and a half, almost age 40. Let's go to the other side. Uh, Jermaine Effetti, first-round pick of Seattle, washed out. They got rid of him. We picked him up. He was crappy as a guard. We moved him to right tackle when Bobby Massey Even got hurt. worse. And he actually played better. Go back if you really. Like I, I'm not a fan. I'm. I've always never been a fan of putting him outside, but really, I did not think so. If, uh, if you look at the analytics, go look up on Pro Football Focus or mm. any of the others. He actually graded really well as a right tackle, but not like oh my god, great. He's solid. He made five million dollars. The dude he's trying to block one on one. His name's Jadavian Clowney. He was the number one pick in the NFL draft, and he makes what twenty, thirty million dollars a year. I'm surprised. People are surprised. That didn't end well. Our center is undrafted. He's played one year in the league. Sam Mustaver. I love him. I think he battles really hard. He's going up that, uh, what's the hyphenated uh, dude's name for Cleveland in the middle? That guy's a beast. I'm surprised. People are surprised that it didn't end well. So we're not good on the offensive line. We don't get a ton of great separation at tight end. And our wide receivers... Darnell Mooney's like a really, really good three, trending to maybe a number two. Please don't tell me a 5'11 guy is our number one guy. He's just not Tyreek Hill. He's not. So my point to you is, got a nice running back, a developing quarterback, a meh offensive line. We're just not, we're just not that good offensively. And Matt's not a very good coach. Right. And I looked up Robert Quinn's cap after it'd be, we have a potential out after this year for 12 million dead cap. But yeah, if we right traded him right now, 24 million people, want right, if we traded him right now, it would be 24, which quite frankly, I don't think that's very feasible, but I, I just brought it up because I don't think any bears fans expected him to look this good. And I, I, I mean, I, I personally just came into this year with pessimistic expectations for the team. Like I thought it was like a six or seven win team. A lot of people see a three and three, three and two record and they get all, you know, high and mighty and excited. And then that Packer game, like death taxes, Packers beating us down. It'll be, it'll take until like the next lions game for bears fans to actually feel optimistic. Cause the next four or five games for these bears are going to be telling for how good they actually are. Yeah. I'm not expecting this to be a playoff team. But again, you don't know who you're playing. It's, it's not who you play, it's when you play them. You know, what if you found out, I mean, I don't think they're beating Tampa. So let's say that they're what, three and four then. Well, what if you find out the three starters for the 49ers went down and they're coming here? It's not the same 49ers team. And then uh, the week after that, who do they play after the 49ers? They've got Detroit. No, Detroit's Thanksgiving. Uh, Whoever it is they've got, and then they've got Pittsburgh on Monday Night Football. 
Pittsburgh's not a world beater. They're okay. I mean, and the Bears are better than a bad team. So they're going to upset somebody. So they're going to be what? Seven and 10, eight and nine. It's just not good enough. And that's why I'm done letting this guy after this season affect Justin's development. Unless at the end of the year, the three of us can reconvene and do another podcast and you go, holy blank, Justin Fields is rookie of the year and he looks amazing. Well, then you got to tip your cap and go, Matt must have done something right. That kid developed. Then maybe you keep him in the same system. But barring that miracle happening, yeah, hard pass for me. A couple of final questions I have for you. One of them is with the Chicago Bulls, NBA season starts tonight. The Bulls made a lot of acquisitions the last couple of months. Lonzo Ball, DeMar, Vucevic, all these other guys, you know, Caruso. What do you think of the Bulls team and the makeup that they have? And what's kind of the floor and what's kind of the ceiling for this team, in your opinion? I mean, the floor can be whatever it is if they have injury problems. If they get good health, nobody gets perfect health. It just doesn't happen. But if they get solid health, I feel like this is a 45-win basketball team. Now, that's not a championship team. That's not a team probably in Eastern Conference Finals. But it's a drastic improvement from the nonsense we watched for a whole lot of years. So I like what they've done. Uh, Mike, one concern is, do they have enough perimeter shooting? Mm -hmm. I don't think they're a great defensive team, but I think they're going to be better. I love the fact that Zach does not have to be a ball dominant point forward. Cause I used to listen to all these people go, guy turns it over too many times. Cause you're asking him to score 28 a game and play point guard. And that's just not real easy. And then you want to yell that he doesn't guard as well at the defensive end. So I look at this team and I feel like who's making jump shots. Lonzo, he's gotten better, but he's not what you call Kyle Corver out there. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, that's not Steph Curry shooting the ball. Whoa. Really good on a slashing, driving move to the basket. He plays hard. He's a scorer's mentality. I like it. Love Zach. Um, Patrick Williams has to take the next step. So we're going to find out a lot about this team if they start to shoot the ball. If they shoot the ball reasonably well, we could all be in for a fun winter. Definitely. A few of the final questions I have for you are more about your career, actually. Um, so one of the questions I had for you is you worked for WGN for a long period of time, and then you transitioned to ESPN. What was that transition like? And I know one of the projects you worked on at ESPN before you moved over there was you were part of the Bartman documentary, 30 for 30. So I was kind of curious, what was it like to be a part of one of the first 30 for 30s that also really had a significant impact on, you know, sports viewership, you know, interest and engagement? So moving from, I was at AM 1000. It wasn't ESPN 1000 yet. It was AM 1000, 1993 to 1995. And then I was at Cubs convention. My partner on college basketball for ESPN was Tom Brenneman. And I went over to see Tommy at Cubs convention and I covered the Cubs. So there was a media social and this very nice lady walks up. Tom, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I know you're talking to your friend. Could I see you? He said, yeah, first say hi to my friend, David Kaplan. She's like, oh, David, T still a sort. I'm the program director at WGN radio. I'm a fan of your show. I was doing middays at the time. I started doing overnights and then I moved to middays one to three. And 
I said, oh, thanks for listening. She goes, by the way, what's your status? I go, what does that mean? Are you under contract? They said, no, I don't have a contract. I just work without one. Well, Chuck Swirsky just resigned. He's moving to Michigan to be the voice of the University of Michigan on WJR in Detroit. Would you be interested in this job? I said, yeah, absolutely I would. It's WGN Radio. So I'd be leaving sports talk to be a sports update guy and then host a sports talk show on the weekends and then do Cubs pre and post game and Bears pre and post. Back then they had the Bears games. Now they're on BBM. So I interview with her the next week and then six weeks go by and I pick up the paper and Robert Feeder, you all know who Robert is, the media critic. Well, he had a column in the Sun-Times back then. Yeah. Get the newspaper. You guys know what a newspaper is? <laughs> what? A little I bit. I use Twitter. Yeah, exactly. So I pick up the Sun-Times, and I look, and there's Robert Feeder's column. And the headline says, WGN hires new sportscaster. Well, it's obviously not me, because I would already know it wouldn't be in the newspaper. It isn't 30 seconds. Phone rings. Hello. David Tisa Lasort, WGN Radio. Hey, Tisa. She said, did you see the paper today? I did. She said, I disappointed I found out in the paper, but best of luck to you. She said, it's not true. I didn't hire that guy. I, really? She said, you're still in it. It's down to two people, that guy and you. Can you come in and meet with me and my boss, the GM, tomorrow? Yes. I go in interview, feel again like I killed it. Leave. And I get a call like eight, nine days later on a Tuesday night. Phone rings. I had a car phone back then. This is 1995. I hit the button. I think it's my first wife. I'm now remarried for a long, long time. And I hit the I go, yo, think it's it's like 630 at night. She wants me to pick up dinner or something at the store. Yo. And I hear, yo, is that a professional way to answer the phone? Who is this? This is Tisa Lasort from WGN Radio. She starts laughing. Um, I'm ready to talk if you're still interested. Can you meet next week? I said, I cannot. What do you mean? Uh, they put a contract. They found out that I interviewed. They put a contract in front of me. And I have a deadline of 3 o'clock tomorrow to sign it or I'm fired. She said, they're not going to fire you. It's a strategy. I said, well, I can just tell you, I have a meeting at 3 o'clock and they're going to demand I sign this contract. She said, hang on a minute. She calls me back, says, all right, I moved my meeting. Meet me at 9 a.m. at WGN. I walk in. She hands me a piece of paper. It's an offer of a three-year deal. None of it is guaranteed. I'm an at-will employee, but I'm locked to them. So don't forget, if you ever sign a contract, it better protect you as much as them. Why would I tie myself to them, but they can get rid of me when a moment's notice? Uh-uh. I said, Tisa, I can't sign that. You're asking me to leave a job that's offering me a three-year deal and you're not going to give me any guarantee? Give me one year to prove myself. She offered me 59,061 and 63, three-year deal. 59, 61, 63. I said, you give me 61, 63, 65, guarantee the first year and you got a deal. Hold on. She walks out, talks to her GM, comes back. She goes, okay. Here's the deal. I'll give you what you want, all of it. But what are you going to do when you go back there and they offer you more money than I'm giving you? I'm not going to play that game. I said, Tisa, you're going to find out dealing with me. My word is my bond. If you give me that, I will shake your hand 
and I will tell you I'm in and they could literally offer me a million dollars and I would not go back on my word. She said, okay, you have a deal. Bam. The next morning I'm in Milwaukee doing what's now Conference USA. It used to be called the Great Midwest with Brenneman. We're doing the conference tournament in March Madness. We got four games that day. 6 a.m. my phone rings. It's my program director at AM 1000. He's livid because I had gone that after I left TISA, I told him, hey, I'm resigning, giving you my two weeks. I'm going to GM. Don't tell anyone. We don't want it out there yet. Blah, blah, blah. Well, GN released it. They told Robert Feeder, and it's in the paper. I answer the phone. This guy, Greg, is screaming at me. God damn you. What are you doing? But furious. And he hangs up. Phone rings back. It's his attorney. Hey, did you sign with them yet? No, I didn't sign a contract. Gave him my word. Okay, we'll give you 10000 more than they're offering you. Tell me the number. I said, I can't do that. We'll give you 20000 more. I can't do that. I gave this lady my word. Okay, I don't know what you're making, but we'll give you $100,000 and another ten to host the Phil Jackson show. All right, and there the Bulls are everything, and they're on that station. I said to this guy, Barry, Barry, that's really flattering, and that's a lot more money than I'm being offered. I gave this lady my word. If you had offered me this two days ago, I would have taken it. You didn't. I'm sorry. I can't take it. He goes, you're out of your mind. I hang up. I call her. She goes, what'd they offer you? I said, a hundred grand. She's like, what? And you are staying with us? I said, I gave you my word. Do you know that here we are now, what, 26 years later, she lives in Aruba. She and I are still like this. I went to Aruba on vacation with my wife. She drove an hour to meet us, to have a drink with me. We're best of friends. And she's like, I cannot believe you were a man of your word. I gave you my word. And you know that six months later, AM 1000 gave up all sports. I'd have lost my job. They got rid of the contracts, the whole deal. Karma, karma. You give someone your word and I live by one motto. I'm all in. If I give you my word, I'm there. Done, I'm in. I it's right there on my arm. Live life all in. If I'm gonna be your friend, I'm your friend through thick and thin till you screw me over. If you're disloyal, I'm done with you. All in. And so I stayed there 20, almost 22 years and then got this great opportunity to go host middays at AM 1000, ESPN 1000. And then Mike Thomas came in as our station market manager two years ago. He just left. I love that dude. And he gave Hoodie and I mornings. And that was my dream to do morning drive. And I hope it's the last place I ever work. That's awesome. And so with that, like, you know, doing morning drive, what's kind of your morning routine? And like, you know, you have these long days where you do multiple podcasts, you do different shows, you cover different Chicago sports. How do you stay positive and energized throughout every day? Like, how do you oh. just keep going? Okay. So I'm just that dude. Who's like the energizer bunny, like right there. That's what time my phone is set every day. 3.46 a.m. What time do you go to bed? I mean, like tonight I want to watch the Blackhawks game. It'll end like 9.30. I'll probably be in bed watching the last 12 minutes of the game. But um, last night was Monday Night Football. I stayed up and watched the end because I had a bet on the freaking Buffalo Bills in a pool <laughs> I'm in. And I was in bed and I, my eyes are closing. And there are other nights I fall asleep and it's 8 o'clock. So that's my routine. I get up. I shower. I have coffee. 
I drive downtown with my coffee mug with me. I do the show. I come run a few errands. I come home. I've cut all my commercials for the next day. I work out. I have lunch with my son. I do my TV, my uh, NBC Sports Cubs podcast, which I'm going to do as soon as I'm done with you guys. We're going to tape another one. And I have a home studio. I get all my work done, make dinner for my wife. Tomorrow's her birthday. We got one of our kids and my grandson here. And that's me. That's my life. I'm not a huge runaround guy. I just, I love what I do. I feel like I don't work a job. Like if you can get somebody to pay you enough that you can live the lifestyle you want. I don't care if that's being an Uber driver. If you feel like, man, what moves me is being an Uber driver. God bless you. Just be the best goddamn Uber driver in the world. And for me, it was being a sportscaster. And so I feel like I told this to the president of our company. I feel like my job is to make them as much money as I can every single day, whether that's meet with an advertiser, do a great job on my commercial reads, find a sponsor who wants to come aboard, turn them over to sales. And then my second job is to get some of that money out of their pocket. I got that from Stephen A. Stephen A said it. I went, he's exactly right. So that's where I am in terms of my daily routine, work out every day and just try and have a process that I enjoy. So kind of going off of that, my final question for you is, you know, we're seniors in college. We're going to be looking to work in sports media, sports business, whatever. We're kind of interested in what opportunities open up. And there are lots of other people our age or young professionals who aspire to work in this business what's kind of some advice you'd give in terms of getting started into sports media? I know you started off as a scout and then kind of, you know, led your way into sports casting. Um, can you kind of, first of all, be you, how many guys come out of new house at Syracuse and Missouri and Medill and Iowa, and they all sound the same. And that doesn't mean they're not good, but there's one Ian Eagle. There's one Gus Johnson B you don't ever personally attack. Don't come on the air and go, oh, that guy sucks because he's that. No, he made the NFL. He's actually a very talented player. He may not be good enough. Why? Why is he not good enough? Just don't like if a guy goes over four in a baseball game and I go, Rizzo killed us last night, over four and left eight runners on base. He can't argue with me. He was over four, he left eight runners. But if I come on and go, he sucks because he's probably out with his girlfriend. That's just, that's, that's just not how you handle yourself. You be fair, be direct, be yourself, be opinionated. Because if you can't be the guy on the air and go, yeah, you're right. And then someone says that, no, you're right. Find your opinion, research your opinion. And then I don't care if everyone is against you because I've been in that seat or I'm battling with whoever, Sylvie or Hoodie or any of those guys. This guy's an idiot. Guess what? I stick to my guns. That's it. It may not end well. Mitch Trubisky ended up being bad. I have to wear that, but that's where it is. Be you. That's a Matt Neggyism. I had it way before say. <laughs> Be you. Be yourself. Be Jack. Be Sammy. And then understand you're going to get a lot of doors slammed in your face. And there are going to be guys and gals, well, my girlfriend doesn't want me working Saturday nights. Well, guess what? 
if you're going in this business, you're going to work Saturday nights. You're going to work Sundays. You're going to miss birthdays. If that's not for you, be honest with yourself. Look in the mirror and go, no, nah, you know what? I'd rather be an insurance guy home at 5.30 every day, have dinner with my family. That's not me. I married my second wife. We've been married for almost 18 years. We have a family. We have four kids. It's great. But she understands me. I understand her. She's the marketing director of Lou Malnati's. And she works incredibly hard. There are weekends she's at the stores or at her office or there's an event going. Who you marry will be the biggest decision you'll ever make. And then when you get a door slammed in your face, don't go, yeah, nobody wants me. Good. That's fuel. To The next door gets slammed. That's more fuel. They keep throwing those logs on a fire. That door opens that much. You kick that son of a bitch in. And you're the first guy there. You're the last guy to leave. And they're like, boy, that's Sammy, that Jack. They're indispensable. I can't do without those guys. That's how you get ahead. You outwork people. So last question, Cap. We can't thank you enough for coming on and taking the time. We've talked a lot about your career, everything Chicago sports, but what's been the most rewarding experience you've had in your life so far working in this industry? Um, in the industry, going back to November 2nd, when the Cubs won it in 2016, I never thought I'd see it. And I remember saying to Theo, dude, I'm not getting any younger, man. He goes, want me to be honest? Yeah. You should drop 15 pounds, eat healthy, make sure you work out and we're working on it for you. And the day of game seven, I ran into Theo at Starbucks in the team hotel. Hey, Theo, what's up? He said, check your phone. I'm like, check my phone. He goes, I saw you from across the lobby. He walks away. I look on my phone. It says, hey, Cap, enjoy tonight. We've got this. That's six hours before game seven. So I'm like, and he saw me later. He goes, I was thinking of you, man. Enjoy it. So that's by far the coolest moment of my career with Yeah. I, I don't think you could top that with anything else. I mean, that's, I don't know if, I mean, this is coming from a White Sox fan. I don't know if we'll ever see another Cubs world series. I mean, seriously, we don't know what the precedent is for them to come back and do it again. So we don't know tomorrow's I, promise yeah. to know yeah. cherish yeah. every day you have. And I would tell you, there's a book you should read. Tom Brady said it changed his life. When he said that I went and ordered it on Amazon. It's one night. It's that thin. It's called, I have it somewhere around here. It's called The Four Agreements. Oh, I've read that book. I've it's amazing. Book. Yep. It's and so book. there's a line in there, which is tattooed on my arm. It's right there. It says, tune out the metote. The ancient Toltec said, there's a thousand voices in your head. Jack, what do you mean you're going to chase your dream to be a sportscaster? You got to get a real job and get a girl and settle. No. Jack should follow his dreams only if you're willing to be all in to chase your dream. If you're going to half-ass it, don't waste anybody's time. Sammy, what do you mean? You want to be, do what? Oh, no, you, you shouldn't be with that person or you shouldn't be friends with that dude. You be you and tune out all the bullshit in your head because 99.9% .9 of the people are jealous of you. They don't want you to succeed. They do not. Your parents do. Your truly closest friend that wants you to succeed, count yourself very lucky because most people don't. Do not let them influence you. If this is what you want to do, go get it. You can do it.
I'm ready to run through a brick wall. Cap, we can't thank you enough for taking the time. And like always, guys, not the same time, same place. We'll see you guys later.